You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. If you make a study of the book of Acts, and you ought to because it is church history, You find out that from Acts chapter 1 up until Acts chapter number 5, it is the power of God, it is unification, it is prayer, it is God building His church, souls being saved, revival. The beginning of Acts chapter 5 is the first recording for us of sin entering into a church. Maybe it had happened before, but this is the first instance where it's recorded. And God, just to set the example, kills Ananias and Sapphira. And you say, why would he do that? The same reason why we discipline our children the most severest the first time around. If you discipline right the first time, there might not be a second time. So God is setting the precedence that he does not want this to take place. They get past that. Great fear comes on the church. Miracles and wonders are wrought by the hands of the apostles. And so much so is the testimony or the influence of the early church that they begin to bring sick people out into the streets and their hope is if just the shadow alone of Peter could fall on these people. Just his shadow, not even a physical touch, so they thought just his shadow alone, there'd be enough power and effectiveness in his shadow to turn their life around. That's the way the church ought to be. The church ought to have that kind of influence. It ought to have that kind of power. It ought to have that kind of reputation that it casts such a shadow that the world knows there's something that I need and I can get in that shadow. For a little while this evening, I want to preach on this thought, casting a shadow in a dark day. And I believe that it's imperative. It's It's just not necessary. It is imperative that the church still casts a shadow of influence in this generation. You say, what is a shadow? You know what a shadow is? A shadow is produced when you position yourself just right with the sun. And when you are positioned just right with the sun, you cast a shadow. And tonight, if God would let us just get positioned right with him, I believe we could still make a difference. Let's pray. God, please help our church tonight. I pray you speak to our heart in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. There's a statement made by a philosopher, and here's what he said. When small men cast big shadows, it means the sun is about to set. It's a dark day when the wrong kind of people have a lot of influence. If you study out the Bible, you find out that demons do not possess a Christian. And that's because the devil cannot control where there is a Christ. But when you remove Christ from the equation, then the devil takes control. I believe that's what we're seeing in our country tonight, and that's what we're seeing in our cities, and that's what we see even on our streets. I still believe that it is important that our church cast a shadow. I still think it's important that our Bible college cast a shadow. I think it's important that our Christian school casts a shadow. I think it's important that our families cast a shadow. And you and I as individuals, we need to cast a shadow. The responsibility or the commission of the church is to influence, impact, and evangelize the world. Jesus said that in Mark 16, 15, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
That means every human being with a beating heart who is breathing air is a candidate for conversion, but they must hear the gospel. And that is why God has left this institution here. It is our job to take the gospel to the world. In Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, Christ said that right before he ascended. He said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. Every aspect of life ought to be permeated by the effect of God's institution because God's institution is obedient to God's expectation to get the gospel to every creature. It has been mentioned already tonight that we are to be salt in our generation. I said at men's prayer, salt is a preservative. Salt cannot take that which is corrupted and make it incorrupted. It cannot take that which is dead and bring it back to life. But salt can stand in the gap and keep that which is still there from decaying. And that is the job of the church in our generation. We're in a cast a shadow, if you will, of influence. We are salt and we are to be light. It is not God's design for his people to be eclipsed by the darkness of the world, but rather the church ought to be casting a shadow of influence even in a dark day. I believe that the world needs to know the church exists. Our nation needs to know that the church exists. Our city needs to know that the church exists because the church is the conduit that makes Christ known to the world and known to the nation and known to our city. We live in an era of influencers. You know what an influencer is. It is somebody that has no resume that somehow gets a footing and gets their voice known around the world. We live in an era of influencers, and there is no shortage of avenues for those empty voices to get their attention. But here's the sad truth. In days of increased influence, the average church is seeing a decreased impact in their city. The condition of our nation is a direct reflection on the dereliction of the church to fulfill the great commission and to cast a shadow in our generation. What I'm saying is there's a lot of smoke, but there's not much fire. There's a lot of shade, but there's not much of a shadow. No more is the church house, the moral compass of our country. Gone are the days where America slows down on the Lord's day. Not only is righteousness disregarded and disrespected, it is demonized and despised. Can I say you do not get same-sex marriage when the church is casting a large and looming shadow. You do not get the transgender movement when a church is casting a large and looming shadow. You do not get uh, these couples not getting married and just having children out of wedlock when you cast the right kind of shadow. You don't get the expansion of gambling when the church is casting the right kind of shadow. You don't get the legalizing of drugs when the church is casting the right kind of shadow. You don't get booze in the fringe of Christians when the church is casting the right kind of shadow. The theater crowd does not outnumber the church house crowd when the church is casting the right kind of shadow. The lake is not as popular as an old-fashioned altar when the church is casting the right kind of shadow. And I'm saying it is not our job to limp our way back to Egypt. We're to be marching to Zion. It is glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is to be marching on and in this dark day, the church ought to be casting a shadow. You can say amen. I won't tell anybody you said amen. 
during the Great Awakening, America, before the Revolutionary War, was wrapped in wickedness, drunkenness, and debauchery, all kinds of sin. But thank God for a man named Jonathan Edwards that cast a shadow. Jonathan Edwards was not known as an orator, though he's a brilliant mind. But Jonathan Edwards laid with God for three days and three nights and fasted and prayed and got the power of God on his life. And God gave him a shadow. He walked to the pulpit that day and had a manuscript written word by word, almost turning his back to his congregation. He preached hell hot and heaven sweet to his church family. And those unconverted church members got born again. And a great awakening swept through this land. Why? because Edwards cast a shadow in his day. George Whitfield the same. George Whitfield would preach, you must be born again. They began to criticize him. All you ever preach is, you must be born again. And he said, that is because you must be born again. And that man would preach and Benjamin Franklin said, you don't measure his volume by the yard. You measure his volume by the acre. And without the electronic amplification of our day, he'd lift up his voice to tens of thousands in a field from the back of a wagon or on a tree stump and people got saved by the grace of God. Church bells rang out. Families put back together. Why? In their day, they decided with God helping, they were going to cast the shadow in their generation. In the early 1900s, our nation ushered in prohibition. It was the law of the land. Alcohol what was off limits, but that was the result of Billy Sunday beating the drum against liquor. Billy Sunday gave up a career making money as a professional baseball player to follow the will of God. He'd fill up wooden tabernacles and brush arbors and stadiums and he'd preach to thousands of people. He'd preach so hard by the end of his message almost all of his top clothing ripped off and sweat pouring from his body. He'd beat his knuckles bloody and he said I'm going to fight the devil as long as I've got a fist. I'll bite him as long as I've got a tooth. I'll come him until I go home to glory. But in his day he cast a shadow and America felt the effect of that man of God. I think about Peter Cartwright, an old Methodist camp meeting preacher, but he knew the Lord. He could barely read or write, but he knew how to pray. And he'd preach in Virginia and Kentucky and folks would get born again. He wasn't much to look at by the world standard, but he cast the right kind of shadow. What I'm saying in this generation is we need a shadow. Charles Finney. Charles Finney was weird, peculiar, but most people who walk with God are. Charles Finney methodology might be different, different things about him, but no doubt about it, God used him. Charles Finney was preaching in a city in upstate New York, and he, he didn't know the name of it, but he was preaching on God judging Sodom. And as he preached on God rained down fire on Sodom, people began to fall out under conviction and quake. And he had no idea how come. He didn't know why that would affect them so. And afterwards, somebody told him, you know where you're preaching? He said, I don't even know where I am. He said, this is Sodom, New York. Scared him to death. He went to Utica, New York and began to walk through a factory. And just the presence of the man of God, the shadow, the shadow of Finney, literally the story said, as his shadow, you see that, as his shadow would fall upon those grown men working, they would fall under such conviction that they had to leave their station, cry out to God in repentance, get right, get born again. Charles Finney started 
his college there in Oberlin, Ohio in 2015. I, I was asked to preach there in a fundamentalist conference. And I was so excited to go to Finney's Auditorium and preach in Finney's building. That man who had cast such a large shadow. I remember going there right before Barack Obama was, uh, or rather Donald Trump was elected president. And I remember going on that campus, all over that campus as soon as I walked there, that place that used to be a place of revival. They had the, the, the gay pride flags and the transgender flags everywhere. They had a little pop-up tents set up on every area of that college campus to give out free hugs and kisses from kittens because Trump is going to get elected. I mean, just a sad thing. I mean, you look at the door going in the auditorium and it said, this is a place of social justice, a safe space and all these different things. And I stood behind that pulpit with that big pipe organ behind it and thought one day there was a man of God that used to fill this place and they had revival here and those Bible college students learned the word of God. There was a shadow cast, but now all they have is shade there. Can I say that is not going to get the job done in America. We need more than smoke. God, give us some fire that church is not a theater for performing arts. The church is not a museum for mummified Christians. The church is not a cesspool of social justice. The church is not a country club for socially awkward people. The church is not a deaf mute spectator watching from the sideline. We're to be a voice and a light and a shadow in our generation. If reality does not hit and revival does not come, how dark is the darkness going to be? Can you imagine a day, we'll get to the text, and just can you imagine a day where a young person crawls up in their grandpa's lap and they're not going to ask them about how far they walked to school. And they're not going to ask them about the kind of cars they drove, but they'll say, Grandpa, tell us about this church thing. Can you imagine that? Crawl up in their grandparents' lap. Tell us, tell us what it was like when God used to move. Tell us what it was like when you used to get dressed up on Sunday morning and go to a church. Hey, tell us what it was like when a preacher would preach. Tell us what it was like to hear a choir sing. Tell us what it was like when people would bow their head in prayer. Tell us what it was like when you had Sunday school. Tell us what it was like when there was a Bible in the home. Tell us what it was like. You say, oh, that won't happen. It's happened other places. And it could happen here. In Acts chapter number 5, this is a historical record of a disciplined and dynamic church. This church had been sent forth by Christ, empowered by His Spirit, and they're actively fulfilling their purpose. I like this. This church didn't have a big budget. They didn't even need advertising. They simply preached the gospel in the power of God, and multitudes were saved, and cities were turned upside down. This church was not known for their potlucks. They were known for the power of God. I don't know if they were social, but they sure were evangelists. They didn't have much of an income, but they had a lot of outreach. They weren't a fixture in the city, but they turned the city upside down. And the Bible said that the Lord added to this church daily such as should be saved. If you study the book of Acts, you find in Acts chapter Number two, they're all filled with the Holy Ghost of God. And Peter begins to preach. And thousands are saved on the day of Pentecost. And chapter number three, Peter and John go to the temple. And as they go, a lame man is healed and persecution comes. But they march on anyhow. And more folks get saved. And Acts chapter four, the same. And they take up an offering. And the church is off and running. And it brings us to chapter five. Now in chapter number five, verse number 15 interests me. And we'll talk about it. The Bible says signs and wonders have been performed by these apostles. Now, don't let that bother you. You have to understand the book of Acts is a transitional book. 
And it's a historical record, but we do not garner a lot of doctrine from the book of Acts. Because what we have here is a time in church history before a completed New Testament. And we don't have that which is perfect yet, but we do now. We have a King James Bible, say amen right there. And we don't live by signs, we live by Scripture. So God used some of these signs to authenticate the ministry of the apostles. The Jews seek after a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom. And he used these things to confirm the message to the messenger and to the crowd that they were preaching to. So some of these things are taking place here, but don't let that ball get down. Just study your Bible and rightly divide it, and it all fits perfectly as it should. It's God's book. But here it says in verse number 15 that they begin to bring out some of these sick folks into the streets. They lay them on beds and couches, and here's their hope. They hope that if just the shadow of Peter can fall on those people, they have heard about the power of God. They have heard about what God has done through that church. They have heard about the miracles and the wonders, and they thought, if we can just get in the shadow of Peter, it can turn our life around. If you study out history in those days and even later on, shadows has some sort of a superstitious connotation to them. People thought if their child would run into the shadow of a certain person, they would pick up the characteristics of that person. So if somebody was walking down the street and it was somebody they despised, they would try to keep their child out of that shadow. If it was somebody they respected, they'd want to usher their child into that shadow. So either way, a shadow has powerful influence and effect. And these people are thinking, if we can just get in the shadow of Peter, it can make a difference. I want to say this tonight. Thank God for shadow casters. The right kind of shadow casters. I'm glad Moses cast a shadow even in the land of Egypt. I'm glad in Noah's day he cast the right kind of shadow. David cast a shadow bigger than Goliath there in the valley of Elah. And Joshua cast a shadow outside the walls of Jericho. Elijah cast a shadow that made Ahab a little bit nervous. I think about Isaiah, he cast a shadow, and so did Jeremiah. You think about Paul. Paul cast a large and looming shadow all over the Gentile world. Peter cast a shadow in so much they crucified him upside down because he asked to be crucified upside down. I think about Stephen. He cast the right kind of shadow. Even historically, men like D.L. Moody and, and men like Charles Spurgeon and, and men like George Whitfield and Jonathan uh, Edwards, I mentioned, and Charles Wesley and John Wesley. John Wesley said, the world is my parish, and he sought to win the world. They cast the right kind kind of shadow. I thank God for that even in our church, you faithful people that cast the right kind of shadow. But tonight I want us to consider just for a couple of minutes the right kind of shadow. How does a church cast the right kind of shadow? Look with me here in the chapter. Let me give you a few things that we need if we're going to cast a shadow in a dark day. And if, if you shout louder than I preach, it won't bother me just so you don't get nervous. If you feel like you want to say amen, it won't bother me. All right, here we go. Verse number three. Are you ready? Look at your Bible. In verse number three, here's what it says. But Peter's said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? We're talking about casting a shadow. A shadow is influence. A shadow is effect. A shadow is that which makes a difference and impact around you. 
Why did this church cast a large shadow? Number one, I think it's because they had a sounding trumpet. You say, what do you mean? I mean, here when this church had sin creep in, there was a man of God not far behind it that was ready to call it out. I'm glad in that early church they had a preacher by the name of Peter that wasn't wetting his finger to the wind. He wasn't taking a survey to see what people wanted to hear. He wasn't getting permission from the big tithers in the building. He wasn't asking permission from his wife. He just crawled up behind the pulpit and said, here's what God told me to tell you. If we're going to make a difference in this day, we've got to keep the pulpit hot. We've got to preach the Word of God. There's got to be a sounding trumpet. You don't have revival without Bible preaching. You don't have an awakening without Bible preaching. You don't get repentance without Bible preaching. You don't break up the fallow ground with singing. You don't break up the fallow ground with fellowship. It's broken by the word of God. Thank God for a sounding trumpet. In these days where men would rather get behind the pulpit, talk with a librarian's inside voice, I mean, ask permission before they make any kind of statement, makes me want to puke. I mean, I get sick. I can't take that. I don't want that. That's too effeminate. No, that's not Bible. I like a man that'll stand behind a desk, lift up his voice like a trumpet, filled up with God, filled up with the word of God, and he's preaching with a heart for the people and declares what the Bible Bible says. A sounding trumpet. Notice this trumpet was discerning. Peter said, hey, listen, Satan's filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. He didn't have to say, now, Ananias, I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. Why? Because God already told him what's going on there. Thank God for a voice that has discernment. There's some things that might get preached that you don't agree with, but if you don't agree with it, you might want to figure out why you don't and where you went wrong. Say amen right there. Because if it comes out of the Bible, it's right. Thank God God will give us a shepherd. God will give us a voice that might just see a little bit further than we do. Amen. The gray areas might not be so gray to the right trumpet. Say amen right there. A discerning voice. In a day of so much foolishness and misconception, so, uh, so, so much twist and spin, thank God for a discerning voice. But I like this. It's a declaring voice. You see what he mean? He wasn't afraid to say it out loud. I'm glad he'd say it out loud. You mark it down. It's not what a, pre it's not what a person will preach against. It's what they won't preach against. It's not as much what they do say. It's what they never do say. Thank God for... Now, I think we ought to say hard things in the right spirit. But I think we ought to say hard things. And it ought not be a hard thing to Christian people. It's just a, if it's a Bible thing. Correct? Everybody all right? If we say that you ought not drink alcohol, that ought not be a hard thing for a Christian. Amen. Thank God for somebody who'll say it. Well, don't go do those things. What things are you talking about? Amen. Come on. Well, you know, just use your, use your discernment. No, that's what got us in the mess that we're in already. We don't have that. Come on. I mean, you know, just, just, just think about it. They don't think about it. We don't think about it. Sheep are dumb animals. I can say it. I'm one of y'all. Aren't we? Isn't that true? I mean, you watch it. A sheep will run into electric 500 times. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Just keep running back into it. If one sheep goes over a cliff, they all go over the cliff. So thank God for a sounding trumpet that will discern, hey, listen, that might not be best. It might be good, but it's not best. 
It, it might be wrong. It might be right, but he can discern it. And then it will declare things to us. I wouldn't want to go to a church that doesn't preach the whole counsel of God. What's funny to me is all these compromising churches that claim they preach the Bible verse by verse never get to the verses that talk about separation. Anyway, sounding trumpet. It's a dedicated, it's a dedicated voice. You say, what do you mean? Well, Ananias dropped dead. You better believe the pressure was on Peter to quit preaching like that. You want to cause trouble in your church, you preach somebody dead. I mean, that'd have to upset the brethren. I mean, I've done it tonight, but not on purpose. Come on now, wake up. No, honestly, could you imagine? That had to trouble his heart if he loved that, that family. But aren't you glad? He said, you know what? It hurts me to do this, but it's right. God told me to preach it. I'm going to preach it. Love, that is love. The problem is a lot of people want to be liked and not loved. It's different. All right, number one, you need a sounding trumpet. Let's go quickly. Number two, you have to have sweet togetherness. Sweet togetherness. Look at verse 12 through 13. Look what it says. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And here's the phrase. It's over and over again in Acts. And they were all with, look at what it says, one accord in Solomon's porch. We're talking about a church that can cast a shadow. They're going to have to have a voice, a trumpet that'll sound. A trumpet's irritating. Ask these men in the front. It's irritating. It's, it's, it's an alarming sound. It'll wake you up and rouse you. It makes you want to rally for battle. It makes you want to pack up and remove and go somewhere else. I'm glad we have a preacher. Amen. That's okay to say amen right there. How shall they hear without a preacher? But then there's a sweet togetherness. The Bible says that they're all with one accord and they're in one place. That means this church is unified. They are together. They are yoked in the same yoke, going the same direction. There's not a lot of little chiefs trying to get their own tribe together and pulling in an opposite way. Everybody's just following in behind the chief shepherd. They're going toward the plan of God, trying to fulfill his will. I thought about this togetherness. What brought this crowd together? They had the same passion. You say, what was their passion? They must have all liked to paint. No, not paint. Maybe they all were into Taibo. I don't think they were all into that either. What was it? Maybe interpretive dance. I don't think that was it either. You say, what brought them together? They all had the same passion for Christ. Christ had changed their life. He had saved them. And you know what happened? It brought these people together. Poor people and rich people, young people and old people, smart people, uneducated people, uh, soon Jew and Gentile, all in one body. What did that? A common passion for the Lord. That's what brought us here together tonight. That's why we had to endeavor to keep unity in the bond of the Spirit here tonight. Why? Because we've all been saved by the same Savior and washed in the same blood. Not everything else has to be the same. That is enough to keep you and I yoked together in this thing the same passion then the same purpose what was their purpose they want to learn the Bible and preach the Bible they wanted to learn it and then share it with everybody else and then watch this I like this a sweet togetherness in the same place uh oh here they were all meeting physically assembled in a spot they weren't satelliting in they were all together on the same property you say, where'd they meet? Solomon's porch. Uh-oh. Solomon. That's old-fashioned. That's like 20 generations ago. You want us to worship in Solomon's porch? That's where daddy did it. That's where mama, that's where grandpa worshiped. That is old-time religion. There's no way that's going to work in the New Testament to meet in Solomon's porch. But I like what they did. They met in a place that was holy. They met in a place that had heritage. And they met in a place where it happened before. 
And they said, we're going to gather together and hear the Bible preached and we're going to sing together. We're going to fellowship together and we're going to do it where it's been done before. We're going to do it at that part of the temple where Solomon had built that wall on the eastern side. We're going to do it where in John chapter 10, Jesus had stepped in and told the Pharisees that my sheep hear my voice. And he said, I'm going to give them eternal life. He said, we're going to meet right there where Peter and John told that lame man to rise up and walk. God has met there before and he'll meet there again. We're going to meet where Solomon uh, uh, met. We're going to meet where the former generation met in a place together. I tell you what makes a church cast a shadow when there's people in the pew during the services. The reason the average church in America doesn't cast a shadow is because it has no presence in its city. I mean, there's about five old people gathered around an old dusty upright piano, 400 doilies. Come on, I've been there. I preached in one church. They had, seriously, probably six candles lit over that little church. But church about the size of this platform. There's about seven people in the church. There's more candles than people. And it was grieving me because I'm not Catholic. And I was just looking around like, what in the world is going on? And they were scented candles and not all the same smell. So depending on what you felt like smelling, you just go that way. But anyway, that's sort of like it is in every church, but different. Anyway, it just, but there were candles all over the place. I hold it together for both of us, okay? This is a true story. It was grieving me because they had a candle on the pulpit. I don't know if that was like in memory of somebody who passed away. I don't know what it is on the pulpit. So I just, I prayed long. And while I prayed, I walked around the entire church. Seriously, Lord, I pray that you'd bless the service tonight. Pray. And that's a true story. I'm not even making this, this really happen. And, went through, and when I got done praying, they all opened their eyes and just smoke filled the temple. They thought, you know, God had met with us. <clears throat> that's not the way church is supposed to be. We're supposed to all come together. There is power in the number together. There's, there's, there's a strengthening that we get when we're together. This church had a sounding trumpet, a sweet togetherness, one more. This church had a supernatural touch. That's shown in verse 14 through verse number 16. Really in verse number 12, it talks about signs and wonders. What I'm talking about is, undeniably, this church had the power of the Holy Spirit of God working through it. The power of God is the promise of the church. It's the possession of the Christian. Do you understand that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you and I in the person of the Holy Spirit? When you and I were born again, you've heard me say that we became the tabernacle or the dwelling place of the Holy Ghost. He resides in us. He seals us into the day of redemption. We are inhabited by the Holy Spirit. But there's a difference in being inhabited by the Spirit and then filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to be completely emptied of self, yielded to the Holy Spirit, so that God can use you like a conduit through which He'll flow. The power of God is something that cannot be duplicated. They try to mimic it and make up for it, but you cannot duplicate the power of God. There is no marketing strategy. There is no media budget. There is no performance or drama you can put on. There's no emotional thing you can stir up that can take the place of the genuine power of God. But here's the good news. The same power of God that was at work in Acts still is effective and at work today. And you and I can tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'll say, I believe that is what we need more than anything else. When we preach, when we sing, when we teach, when we do our ministries, whatever it is, we must have the power of the Holy Spirit of God. I don't care the majority that might be against us. It is no match for the power of God. Through the power of God, they turned cities upside down. Kings were converted. Revival or riot. But there's no neutral ground. The power of God makes a difference. 
It's a dark day when small men cast a big shadow. If you were to look, who casts the largest shadow today? What crowd? Who's got the most influence? Who's making the most headway? Who's winning the young people? It's not supposed to be that way. It ought to be God's people. It ought to be the church. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.